This week in Retronauts, the dark souls of video game collecting. <laughs> is that what this kind is about? Of, yes. yeah, yeah. 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 I haven't made a Dark Souls metaphor on Retronauts before. So. That's pretty good. Yeah. So I, I think I'm allowed one, considering how often Bob brings up Dark Souls. I think that's okay. <laughs> I, I think Dark Souls is more uh, prototype stuff. Uh, it could be. So what would this be? Well, we can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Retronauts. I'm Jeremy Parrish, and... If it sounds a little wonky, or if it sounds amazing, I don't know what's going to happen with the audio quality on this one, uh, but I'm recording in a hotel room in Santa Clara because it's uh, California Extreme, and yep. I'm here with a bunch of guys who are at California Extreme, but also have a lot to say about this week's topic, which is collecting video game ephemera, which is a very kind of vague and nebulous uh, topic title. But basically, you know, we've talked about game collecting, we've talked about um, sort of presenting games in the best possible way, you know, finding the right technology for that. We've talked about game preservation, and this is kind of the next step in that, which is collecting, preserving things that aren't actually games, but are related to the games, because in a way that, that stuff's extremely valuable and, and provides really great insights into the past and into the marketing and sales and distribution and timing of video games. But it's not something that people really make a collection of very often. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you'll see someone who's like, oh, yeah, I want to have, you know, all the marquees for the uh, versus Nintendo systems. Or, you know, I want, like, point-of-sale posters for all the Nintendo Famicom Disk System games or something. But things like marketing materials, internal documents, like, where do you find that stuff? What value does it have? What value can you put on it? Who do you get it from? Like, it's, you know, it's just this really vague and poorly defined area of video game history, but one that uh, I think deserves uh, curation and discovery. And so the guys I'm talking to today are very much about that. So why don't we just introduce ourselves counterclockwise style? So uh, I'm Frank Cifaldi. I've been on the show a couple times, and uh, I am uh, the head of restoration at Digital Eclipse. Um and uh, a video game, I guess, archivist and historian is what I call myself, right? Is that what's on my Twitter bio? I, I think archivist so. Archivist and historian? Like that. Yeah, that sounds, sounds great. Yeah, it does sound great, right? It, it fits. It's apt. So the thing is, the thing about uh, being a video game historian, uh, how do you do it? You just put it on your Twitter bio. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I did. That's, yeah. I, I got to do that, too. I've I totally neglected that. Uh, next. Uh, so I'm Mike Micah. Um, by day, I'm a game developer. I work on games for everything out there. But by night, I'm also a game preservationist and game historian uh, by hobby, basically. But I work with Frank a lot on a lot of the stuff. Uh, whenever I can, I'm kind of following his lead. Like, oh, that's what we should do, shouldn't we, Frank? And, well, for, for both jobs, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for both jobs. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I've been collecting game ephemera for as long as I can remember because I always thought of that as the most disposable thing out there. There's no checklist for it. Right. So I'm like, I would always worry about that stuff. Yeah. So that's where my focus has mostly been. And ephemera by definition is oh, yeah. disposable. It's, it's, it's disposable. Yeah. It's so yeah. it's exactly. So it's just every time I see somebody getting rid of something or talking about, oh, I don't know what to do with this, should I just toss it? It's like, no, just treat my house as a garbage can. And you've been doing that since like the 90s. Yes. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm Steve Lin. I'm head of platform for Got It, uh, former game developer, uh, also archivist and historian. Uh, I've been collecting since, well, I never got rid of anything from a kid, as a kid. Uh, so especially the past couple of years, um, maybe decade or so, been really strong. And then I've also uh, been on Retronauts before, uh, what, Pac-Man and Atari yeah, Lynx. Yeah, you've been a few yeah. times, yeah. Have you been? No, I, you know what, I'm trying to remember. I don't think I have. I, there was yeah, a moment I where so. I may have been briefly on one, but I, I vaguely remember it. Huh. Walk past your podcast. Yeah, but it's like back in the day. Exactly. I think that's what it was. Right. <laughs> okay. well, I'm glad. I'm glad we could finally get you on, and I'm glad we can get all of you guys on because this is an area uh, that I find interesting, but have no skin in the game. I'm very much a person who likes stuff, but doesn't want a lot of it. And yeah. by definition, yeah. this is just unruly. It's chaos, <laughs> and that's that's kind of like well, no, I've seen like photographs of your place, Frank. Yeah. It's, it's very tidy. But yeah. But still, like, there's a lot of boxes and stuff. Well, paper is very compact. It is. It's also very heavy. <laughs> yes. It is. Yeah. 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 Uh, when I moved across the country, like, we almost got in trouble because we had so many books yeah. that it, it was, like, twice as heavy as one of those storage cubicles is supposed to be. It was, like, 5,000 pounds instead of 2,500. So oh, God. Oh, they, wow. they scolded us about that one. So, like, I just know I, I should not get involved in this because I, I tend to have kind of, a, like, a... I wouldn't say obsessive personality, but once I start on something, yeah. I'm like, I got to keep doing this. I got to yeah. go all the way with yeah. it. And this and is endless. Like this, this would be. Oh, it's literally endless. I, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. No, there's no checklist. I can't yeah, even imagine. Exactly. Like it would drive me crazy, and I, I, I don't have time or energy for that. So or money. So, so you guys keep doing the hard work, and yeah. I, my my work as a video game historian will be making a podcast where I talk to people <laughs> who do actual hard work. Well, you you also do what we do. Yeah, um, to, with to Game Boy game. World, yeah, but with... I mean, you know, I like I get that stuff and then pass it along, or I borrow it. Well, right? that's kind of what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. we're kind of in the, that the, the problem now. is that with the, with the stuff that we focus on, there's not really in a place that they go after, right? Yet, you know, yeah, like right. that's yeah. well, and also I was able, like, through you know a lot of research and and uh, you know checking Japanese wikis and stuff, to be yeah. able to put together like a very right. firm, rigid checklist and timeline. So. I can I can just kind of follow those rules and not have to worry about like what else is out there. Yeah, I know. yeah, Maybe that's kind good. of our problem, right? Like it's every day I'm always finding out something that like needs to be preserved, and it's like, yeah. damn it, <laughs> like it's too big. Where are we supposed to put that or whatever? You just don't know. It comes out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. So just to get started, I guess the question is, you know, what do we mean by video game ephemera? I kind of gave sort of like yeah. a high level view, but I'd be curious to hear uh, what you guys specifically say, and you know. More to, more to the point, like, what you are specifically interested in. I assume okay. it's not just, like, everything indiscriminately. I mean, maybe it is, but I feel like, you know, within this, there's still, like, a tendency to specialize or to seek out specific things. Yeah. Um, so, I guess, really, the, the topic just covers anything that isn't a consumer product, yeah. right? right. I, I mean, I, I, think that's a, I think that's a pretty blanket statement, but I think it, I think it works mm -hmm. for what you'd consider video game That's ephemera. at the top, and then everything branches out. Right, there. right. So, like, anything that, you know, was sent to the media is video game ephemera. Like, any any promotional or sales material, any internal documentation, any internal anything. Right. Right? I mean, I don't know. By our definition, maybe a prototype cartridge is ephemeral, right? But, but I think, think that's that, kind of a that different... Count. Like, source yeah. code would count. Yeah, source yeah, code, source absolutely. Code, documentation, yeah. game developer yeah. documentation. Yeah. Um, you know, like, flyers that you get at trade shows if you were a buyer. Like, uh... Like Ian in our office, uh, Ian, who was a programmer on Mega Man Legacy Collection, actually the 3DS version, he was the lead. Um, his dad was a buyer for a store. I don't remember which store, but uh, because of that, 
like Konami and Jalico and all these other companies would send him VHS tapes with previews of the games and carts. But like those tapes, those sales tapes are, are what I'd consider video game ephemera. Right. Um, and you know, I, I don't know, I guess what I specialize in, um, I, 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 I'm not, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm not someone that, uh, has a tendency to grab everything because like I would drive myself crazy, but like I, I have a filter of myself. I don't know where that filter starts and ends, but I, I, I think I have an instinctual filter that has, that's like, this has information that might be useful to someone someday or has like better art than that's, than, than is on the box, <laughs> you know, like, and, and that's sort of where I, uh, focus, um, a lot of my like personal collection over the years, um, I don't know if I've ever even talked about the magazines on this show, but but uh, I collect video game magazines, and my focus is North American because that's you know because shipping's crazy, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically North American game focused uh, like game specific, so not like PC general with game coverage, but game specific magazines um, from uh, post crash through the end of uh, the nineties because, uh, and, and, you know, I, I kind of cut myself off there in my personal collection because, uh, IGN and GameSpot are still online and still have their news archives online. And like archive team has probably scraped that stuff. So to me, like the news stuff is probably mostly online, whereas anything from 99 and before for the most part is not. Um, so that's where a lot of my stuff, uh, stops, but that's just the paper, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I've got, um, Jeremy, when we moved offices at one up, I took, uh, you probably remember, I took mm-hmm. all of the, the electronic press kits that were around and yeah. all, all the old builds and stuff because yeah, no one wanted those. Right. And, and like, this like, is the style of work. Yeah. Right? yeah. 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 But I mean, it wasn't even, is, is it theft if it's just going to be thrown out? Like, right. Like, no one yeah. really cared about that. It was just stacks of old CD-ROMs and, right. and zip disks. Yeah. Like, no one even has zip disks, zip drives anymore. Well, it's technically theft because it's company property. Yeah. <laughs> you know, did, did anyone, did, well, did it, Sam yeah, actually sign off? It's actually, like, know. thrown out, right, once it right. hits the sidewalk. Well, right. it wasn't on the sidewalk. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. En route. This uh, was uh, en route to the sidewalk. There, there was yeah. the pile. There was the, the going to the trash yep. pile. Yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but, see, that's, that's close enough. Right? All, you were carrying it to the trash, and you just went to your car instead. <laughs> even, even if it wasn't going to be thrown out at that point, I can guarantee that it would have been thrown out. It would have been thrown out, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, like, those press kits are... And, you know, I'm sorry, like, there's so many subjects that can go down here, and I'll try to wrap this up because we're kind of <laughs> going around the room. But, like, the, the press kit's, you know, extremely valuable from, from a, a, an historical perspective because uh, these press kits tend to have really high-resolution, mm-hmm. like, yeah. art from yeah. those games that uh, doesn't exist or, you know, maybe exists in the IGN gallery for the game, shrunk down to, like... 10% right. of its original yeah, size. JPEG compressed. Yeah. Modem. Yeah. Yeah. And JPEG compressed with an IGN watermark. You know what I mean? Like that's the only way to see that art right mm-hmm. now. Or like, you know, those, the, the, the zip disks and like there were five magneto optical disks. If Whoa. anyone remembers that wow. format from like, like old Bernoulli EGM. Or something? What's that? Like a Bernoulli disc. I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> <laughs> but like Sony branded magneto optical, like 
Uh, one of them I got from One Up was uh, Space World '97 screenshots oh, that Nintendo sent out. So, so like, I would have had like Pokemon stuff. Yeah, and, ten uh, screenshots of Mother Three. Mother Three, yeah. like direct capture screenshots of Mother Three. Stuff. Yeah, headed for the trash. You know, so probably pre Game Boy Color. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some really good stuff. Like, there's a you know, like it was still called Zelda '64, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. or maybe that was a different disc. I think I have a disc that's just called Zelda '64. Anyway, um, that's kind of where I focus in most of my collecting stuff and and anything that that talks about an unshipped game i tend to grab yeah just because yeah. like you know that yeah that right. stuff is the most ephemeral of the ephemera mm-hmm. like the, you know any documentation on that game tends to not exist yeah i mean that's kind of a good segue because that's where a lot of my ephemera collection started was in the mid 90s early 90s when i first started going to trade shows yeah. and i was just fascinated by even the look of press kits because I remember the Donkey Kong Country press kit was in this green forest box that had yeah. like Velcro you open it up and everything inside was really nice and high production value. And so I kept all that stuff when other people just kind of pull out what they wanted and throw everything away. Right. Um, but my focus primarily is actually on the ephemera surrounding game development and the creation process of games. Because I'm really fascinated about uh, the people involved in games and how they came up with the game ideas and all that stuff. So I have stuff that's like game design documents, um, artwork from game development process. Like the one thing that a good friend of ours, Brett Pulliam, gave me was a, a, a from a Congo Bongo design uh, kit that was like the original design documentation that had artwork done to kind of illustrate what the game would look like and how it would play yeah. and stuff, and typewritten on the back is like what, what the, each level would be like and things like that. And I love stuff like that. I've got is that stuff. the original or are those copies? It's an original. Wow. And there was, I think Brett found it at like either California Extreme or one of these kind of shows. California Extreme. Yeah. yeah. And it was like in a Why bin. <laughs> I know. It's those bins. So, I mean, yeah. we'll get into this in a second. But, but yeah. You know, a lot of these, you know, arcade operators or, or, you know, production companies will just dump off into ops and then it, it's, they, it shows up in a plastic tub that you need to dig through <laughs> at yeah. California Extreme. It's, it's amazing to me. So, I, I focus a lot on that. I have things like clay characters from like the Neverhood games and stuff yeah. like that or even like, uh, like the actual a, figurines. Actual figurines game. from the set of the thing and I don't even think a lot of those guys still have those and I would yeah. just ask them for that stuff when yeah. they're building it. Um, even down to like stuff like McFarland Toys did the uh, Mega, uh, Metal, Metal Gear figures yeah. and I had an opportunity where they're getting rid of stuff and they're getting ready to toss the Psycho Mantis original sculpt that they use to design the character and then 3D scan and then do whatever. I'm like, why would you toss that out? So I have like that sitting down there yeah. and stuff like that. So things like that. Uh, and also I'm interested in the business aspects of like what led to companies forming and, and this sort of thing. So I have a collection of fax exchanges and all this stuff because I, it's interesting to me to follow that story and have that history and connect the dots between how Will Wright went from like Raid on Bungling Bay to creating a company Maxis around SimCity yeah. and what was Micropolis before and all that stuff. And then having all the source code and all that stuff around it so you can really tell the tale yeah. and see how like some of the biggest games in our, our field and industry here were formed and created from simple ideas or just mistakes or accidental business adventures. <laughs> And you kept some really like sort of unrelated to that stuff, but you, you kept some interesting ephemera like that that uh, that that uh, Big Lots flyer. I just saw it here. Oh house. yeah, this is great. Like you kept a Big Lots flyer from when they were closing out the Atari inventory that oh. they bought. So you know this is like you know NES era like yeah late eighties early nineties right. Probably. But it was literally like, games advertised for a dollar. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. These games are a dollar. These are two dollars, and these are three dollars. And I run into people yeah. all the time. Like even back then, it was so amazing to me because it blew my mind that this was even happening. Because yeah. to me, that was like heaven. Like being yeah. able to go and buy an Atari a full system for twenty four bucks, a seventy eight hundred, yeah. and then buy every game I wanted. For yeah, that $1. system was four years old at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was mind blowing. So like it was such an impact that I kept the flyer for years, and I knew I had it somewhere, and I was digging through stuff. Yeah. 
I posted that flyer on Twitter. I took a picture and put it on Twitter. It's one of my like most shared and largest impression tweets I've ever put out, which it blows my mind, but shows that that, yeah. that stuff, if I had not kept that, yeah. like how many people were interested in that? People around the country knew that. Yeah, is, is, maybe there's a big lots flyer collector somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then, that may only be the one, the one last flyer out there. And Steve, you have clay figures too. I do have clay <laughs> figures. Uh, so in terms of my ephemera, uh, I focus a lot on uh, Nintendo. Um, and originally... For me, it was uh, all the merchandising material, so yeah. like the kiosks. Uh, so I have all of the kiosks that yeah. Nintendo, at least the, the playable kiosks. And right. then I've recently started adding the ones that are non-playable. It's just for display purposes only. Um, like the M3, which was replaced by the M83, or 93. Um, and then I actually got into collecting paper through Frank. So I had always <laughs> gotten like CES and E3 flyers. I didn't and know this. Actually. Stuff yeah. like, uh, you know, I went to the first E3, and so I had like, all the Polygon Man. I'm like, oh, they got rid of this and yeah. you know, all that stuff. But then the more I talked to Frank about magazines and paper, I started realizing how much I was exposed to it in just overall yeah. collecting. And then instead of you know just looking through games and prototypes, I would look through these you know bankers' boxes. And yeah. Like, okay, what's in here? And um, a lot of my personal collections focused on early stage Nintendo. So this is early mm -hmm. uh, to mid '80s. Yeah. Uh, so you know, Nintendo NES release pre uh, press release, uh, things like the games used in the Magnavox via Nintendo trial, and then uh, to uh, what Frank mentioned earlier, I have the original um, clay figures, uh, Tetris figures that were used in that issue of Nintendo Power. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, and so it's the, yeah, those yeah. Are models that they use in photographs. Which you bought from Howard Phillips, right? Yes, yeah. they got from Howard Phillips. So um, Who kept his his clay Tetris representation of himself, which yes. I think is yeah. so, yeah. Do you remember that issue? It was Howard and Phillips yeah, yeah, yeah. as yeah. the Tetris figures. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I mean those. Howard and Nestor. Howard and Nestor. And, and yeah, so a lot of that um internal company newsletters yeah. uh where they talk about shipping out all those Dragon Warrior copies mm -hmm. yeah. and things like that. So th that's really been my focus, but um, now it's, I'll look through anything and um, we can get into this, but part of it is just realizing, all right, what's important and what's not. Yeah. And a lot of that just requires that breadth of knowledge. You have yeah. to like, is this important or not? And and you just sort of, well, this is probably close. And then you filter down after that. And, and we can never, I mean, I say this all the time, we can't know what's going to be important, like even five right. years from now, right? But, you know, I, I think... To not drive ourselves crazy, you have to have some kind of internal filter, right? Yeah. And, and There's times when you're just walking through a show and you're like, "This is no, I can't, I can't, I do can't. This. This is yeah, just, just like, walk away." Yeah. There's 20 like little motion activator controls and like one of these. No, I don't even care. Like, yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. Uh, so that's where we focus. kind of an obvious question or has an obvious answer but why is this stuff valuable um yeah i mean to me you know i i get interviewed about video game preservation kind of often um you were the first person to ever interview me about that actually um <laughs> yeah that the first restaurant i was on in like 2006 or something um but to me, preserving a video game, like I think most people just think of that as the binary code that makes up the game. Like, is that binary code reproduced one for one? Yes, that game's preserved. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with that. 
I think a game is more than just the code. I yeah. think we'd all agree with that. I think the, a game is the story that surrounds it, the development yeah. that went into it. Like, you know, you talk about source code, which is yeah. like the, the rarest of the rare, but yeah. like comments in source code can tell you so much about... You see about, the DNA of a game. Like yeah. we found Goof Troop source yeah. code in Resident Evil. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you realize that's a Mikami game, right? Yeah. And yeah. like all these things where it's like you yeah. see the DNA of how this evolved into something else and where yeah. the origins of these games come from. And, and you know, it tells you a lot just about the nature of game development in a time and a place i mean like you're still kind of using game boy code once I in am. a while like yeah. <laughs> in itarb and stuff yeah, exactly. right um <laughs> really but like the mar- like the marketing of a game to me is a huge part of that game mm-hmm. yeah it's not the product that the developer made it's the marketing team but to me like that whole thing is a package right and like i think part of that honestly started from my own nostalgia like i i I kind of realized that I might be more nostalgic for game marketing than for games sometimes. You know, like, I'm more nostalgic for Nintendo Power than I am for most Nintendo games, you know? Um, Or, like, you know, I was a Sega Genesis kid because their stupid marketing really got to me. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, video game marketing was such a huge, important part of the culture, and I think preserving that's really important. And... um, well, I think it's like understanding the environment in yes. which these games existed, right? Yeah. So I, a lot of times, like, oh, I can put in Sonic the Hedgehog, but then you re- like through marketing material, videos and print ads and everything like that, you can actually realize, all right, this is why you know Nintendo made Play It Loud, right? Yeah. Or like all these weird Game Boy yeah. colors and and like you know, uh, Rorschach test, uh, yeah. like ad campaign. So I, I think that uh, it puts things into context that is lost when you're just playing the game. Yeah. But or, even through, I mean, you see as a game was being developed, it was also influenced by marketing and the, re- re- the reactions that oh, the marketing was yeah. getting too. There's, we've seen early versions of games and looked through Source on some things, which I can't yeah. really mention some of these games because like they should never, if they were what they were at that point in time before marketing put it out there, they would never have shipped that because there was some awful stuff in there that had to change for yeah. it to actually become a shippable product. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that games up until probably the final stretch are most often very terrible, and they, they're trying to fix them all the way to the last point, and then something magical happens, and it turns into a good game. But a lot of it's influenced by the reaction they get from the marketing of the game and what people are reacting to and once it, they realize what the game is and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So one thing, I mean, along with the paper is the stories. And so if you mm-hmm. want to talk about ephemera, you Almost people are ephemeral. Yeah, yeah, people, exactly. Right, and, and it's getting you know everyone. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people who were there in the early days of the formation of this industry are still alive and yeah. you know still able to tell stories. And uh, it's, that's the clock we're racing against. Yeah. Now we're trying to talk to all these yeah. people and find out right. how these things went down and stuff because a lot they're not used to being talked to about this stuff. Yeah, and they're also you know they're getting older. This young industry is not young anymore. Right. <laughs> well, the, you know the paper. I think what it can do is help guide the questions that you mm-hmm. want to ask the individual yeah right so you can be like okay i read about this prototype and then you ask the programmer like do you remember right. that or like you know if it's an unshipped game or something right, right. like like yeah, a lot of people times unless they like were working on it every day like people don't remember it like someone someone sales like oh i kind of remember bashy bazook you know what i mean but like if you have all this ephemera and material and you can sort of paint a picture of like, like for example, I I hope I, so far anyway on eBay I'm the only person who collects uh, CES show guides, and uh, what's really interesting about those is that they'll have a often for each company they'll have a list of brands or products they're promoting at that show, um, and they'll also have the names of people who are like the contacts for that company, which is extremely valuable because it's better than LinkedIn. Um, but like 
if, if, if you if you get someone and sit them down for oral history and you can sort of paint a picture of like what was going on in the company that year, that's going to start unlocking memories for them, right? It's right. like, oh yeah, we were pushing Bases Loaded 2 that year. So, uh, oh right, Bashy Bazook was that weird. You know what I mean? And then, um, and I'm just like, that's, I, I have not interviewed anyone about Bashy Bazook more for Nasher, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's just the first unreleased game to come to mind or whatever. But like, but it fills in gaps. Like there's yes. there's a lot of you'll see games that were announced with code names, and so right. you, you can only guess at what those games could have been. But then when you start following the paper trail, you realize they're yeah. probably just porting this other game. But they didn't want people to know they were going to release it as that. Yeah. So they put out yeah. a fake name or whatever. But they were like queuing up their their plan. Yeah. And the only way they could publicly put it out there was to fake a name and put it out and do that. But also. A lot of uh, game developers who work on these games from a long time ago, are, their names were obfuscated from mm -hmm. the development journals. So it's like using this paper trail, too, you start to piece together who mm -hmm. actually worked on the game. You could tell that this person worked on a game with this person before because you've got all the paperwork. And you kind of do the old like movie thing where you're looking through microfiche. All this paperwork's like that, where you're yeah. connecting the dots and you finally draw a line to, like, this person had to be the person who worked on this game. Yeah. You make the cold call, and if you're lucky, that is, you've, you've nailed it because you had all the evidence. Or, like, you know, something I often do, and, and this is this is leading to some kind of project someday, is, is, is uh, get as much info as I can about the unshipped games for the NES. And we've talked about how, mm. you know, why I find that so interesting. Um, and... Like, okay, just here's an example of something I just learned recently through Ephemera. Um, so Kung Fu 2 was announced for the NES twice. Um, the first time was in 1987, and the second time was in 1992. Uh, that 1992 version was a localization of Spartan X2, the Famicom game. But did they announce that same game five years before? No, it was a different Kung Fu 2, which I always suspected um, but it wasn't until I went to Frisco, Texas and spent uh, four days in the National Video Game Museum's uh, paper archive going through flyers uh, that I found a flyer from 1987 uh, from, uh, it's Irem, right? Mm -hmm. Irem, yeah. Uh, that had a, a little thumbnail image of Kung Fu 2. And it was, you know, the Kung Fu dude with like this blue vest on, like not, not vest, but like uh, uh, tank top. Mm -hmm. uh, over like white clothes and it's like oh this is like vigilante it no it's almost vigilante yeah. you know, like, it's like but it's not quite yeah. yeah it is in fact a local uh, a port of kung fu 2 which is an unreleased arcade game that was only discovered last year as a, as a board i don't know if you've even yeah, seen, seen that you yeah. have seen it yeah so it's like oh it's, it's like you know painting that picture it's like okay that game didn't come out because the arcade game didn't come out. Yep. You know? uh, so, you know, there's, uh, yeah, so just digging up all this paperwork and just stuff that people tossed. I mean, that was like, you know, you're a buyer for Toys R Us at CES and people are just handing you their garbage. You yeah. know, it's like right. advertising the games and most people just tossed them. Yeah. Uh, but that, that whole, like, the name, the same name, Kung Fu 2, but two yeah. different games sort of in the process there. I mean, we ran into that when we were at a, a talk with the LucasArts guys. Yeah. And we went and we were talking to Eric Wilmunder, who were just asking if he had any old, really old canceled games or anything they were worked on, which led to him saying he had an old hard drive for his Atari 800. Right. When he was working on stuff for Atari, even. Yeah. And so that led to us finding and him telling us that he did, but he never thought to do anything with it. Was yeah. Star Raiders Two, right? Which at first a lot of people were like, "Well, that came out," but it, no, it's the actual real Star Raiders Two. Yeah, the one that came out was just like was it Last, Last Starfighter, Starfighter. Yeah. and renamed. But he worked on the true sequel, which is amazing, even by today's standards, which yeah. mind blowing technically. And so it's that was able to come really back good. out through yeah. just a small conversation. We would if we didn't think about Star Raiders Two and just think to ask even deeper questions. Yeah. 
that would have sat on a hard drive and maybe died off and rotted away yeah. had we not pushed really hard. So it's, those kind of things are, you've got to really think on your feet. And yeah. it's finally online now because someone else did it because we're too busy. Yeah, we're too <laughs> lazy to get it there. We did dump it. It's not that's, lazy. Yeah, yeah we, we did We did. We dump dumped it, it for them. But, it was like, but yeah, somebody did a nice story and got it out there. It was awesome. Yeah. And, and speaking as, as someone who doesn't, you know, do all of this, you know, hunting for ephemera, like the work that you do is really valuable. Like the, mm-hmm. the Kung Fu 2 thing, um, you stumbled across that and, and posted about it on Twitter like a week before I did a video history on Kung Fu. Yeah. So I was like, wow, that's <laughs> great. Right? Here's a little bit of trivia I can add to the video. Well, so even the show, fantastic. like the, the links that we go, like last, was it last year at California Extreme or maybe a year before, like all three of us and a few other people with Brett. Oh, yeah, the Atari. We, we heard the Atari building was being oh, demolished right. the, where they built, where they developed E.T. and this sort yeah. of thing. So we drove from the show over there and one of our friends climbed under the fence and went and grabbed a whole bunch of pieces of the building for us because they're like, we've got to have pieces of this building because they're getting ready to haul it all away. <laughs> so. Yeah, so they had said, like, we're, we're, they're, they're uh, demolishing the building. And, like, we have to get over there. And it had already been demolished, but there was the sort of detritus around. And yeah. the security fence were like, this isn't going to stop us from this. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, like, yeah, we have this, like, chunks of the Atari building. And it's such a, that's a weird piece of ephemera. It's like, why do you have this piece of concrete, yeah. like, sitting on your shelf? It's like, that's well, a part of the For the Atari same building. reason that you have an E.T. card that literally smells like, like poop. Yeah, because right? yeah, <laughs> I went out there at Alamogordo and we dug that up for that documentary. In I fact, didn't even think about how that would smell, but yeah. It is the worst smelling thing, so no Ziploc can hold that smell. So it's wow. like, I've got three layers of Ziploc over this thing, in a box, taped, and then that in a bag. And it still reeks. It's that bad. That's Metaphor how awful. for the game itself. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things where, like, uh, as a result, though, there's so many people want a piece of that building who were in, uh, who work there and stuff. So I've been chipping away. <laughs> it's like a big, big thing I have that we've pulled out. And I'm like, chipping pieces off to give out. Like, next to it. Howard awesome. needs this. And this guy that worked in the building who was in the warehouse wants one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, as you know, we talk about like there's no checklist, but what's interesting is actually I worked in a video game trade-in shop in the early 90s. This is NES to Super Nintendo era, and that list of the games that we would take in for trade was my checklist because things like yeah. Mike Edler's list really yeah. hadn't gotten out there. It was more people trading things over, over um, like postal mail. Uh, and then there, you know, Funko yeah. Land and, and all these other places started listing games that would show up, you know, in sales brochures. And those are, those are maybe things that we can start looking for, mm-hmm. right? right? Okay, did that really exist or was that, you know, yeah, Mike's exactly. point, is that the code name for something that came out later? Or, or like if you go on Google groups and search old news groups posts, you will find like NES lists that yeah. have fun ship games in them. Because people didn't know because they were just looking at like mail order lists mm-hmm. and being like, that's... Yeah, list, like, well, yeah. we were at one show, I forgot what the gentleman's name was, but he ran one of the back catalog, old early day Atari era magazine right. back catalog list. I think it was Video Livery or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was always fascinated as a kid. I'm looking at games like Foxbat and all this stuff. And I'm like, I can't find anything on this online or anything like that. And then he finally disclosed me. He's like, oh, we just made up stuff because we just wanted to get people excited to yeah. keep looking and waiting to see if the game's coming out because like they knew stuff was coming. So they just make up names and then swap them out when new games actually were real. So I'm like, damn it. Like <laughs> I've been looking for 20 years for Fox bat materials and he just like made it up. One or like I have, I have an example of that, which is, um, you know, I maintain a, a just privately, uh, a database of the unshipped NES games. And one of the fields that I try to, uh, keep tabs on is, uh, do we have a primary source that this actually existed or is this like maybe just a rumor? Um, And so there was one game that was just on mail order lists called baby gangster (laughs) for the NES, which is a great title. (laughs) Right. It sounds my immediate assumption is unlicensed crappy, whatever, or just made up. Yeah. Right. 
like another yeah yeah Beavis I or something baby gangster <laughs> um but then um I went through and this is also from the collection of the National Video Game Museum actually I went through there was a binder that Nintendo sent to customs to US customs and uh part of it and it was to uh to help stop uh counterfeit material from getting into the country and uh part of it was a list of third party licensees and their titles and under Vic Tokai was Baby Gangster. So, <laughs> like primary source confirmation. So I now have yeah. a primary source. So like SD Galgo 13? <laughs> yeah, no, that wasn't in there, but there's some weird stuff. No, like, that, no that, that could have been. Baby gangster. Oh, it could have been. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like a, the crib silhouette and two babies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> one of them like trips on the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but like another one on that list that there's no source of anywhere else is Karnov 2. Is, oh, list, yeah. is listed on this thing that you know the, the, so at at Nintendo at some point Data East told them we're making Karnov 2 and it went on a list I think mm-hmm. it even has a product code and stuff but like you know that's again piecing together the, the yep. you know that's like one piece of paper and then another one that like combined you know tells us okay there really was at least on a piece of paper somewhere from Victoka. There was intent. <laughs> there was, <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> like even if they never made a game, yeah. they they had intention or at least published intention somewhere of may, making a game called Baby Gangster. So if and when I talk to people at Victoka, I know to ask them about Baby Gangster. And it's funny because they probably like it, remember it, right? Yeah. Actually, the one guy I talked to did not. He's oh. like, what the hell's that? It could have been just like the method, too, because we knew they would have to lock in with Nintendo. They're going to yeah. have X amount of products that oh, year. Oh, right. They would like, have to, sometimes mm-hmm. they didn't have anything in mind. Placeholder just, titles. Yeah, yeah we're, right. we're going to have a sequel to one of our hits so Nintendo doesn't give right. them our slot. Or Vic Tokai in Japan yeah. actually made a weird game called Baby Gangster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Never know. Or like, you know, what you were saying is like, even the mail order people would make up titles that they would assume yep. exist. Or like, I think Vic Tokai actually in particular, like announced a lot of stuff that they didn't, they didn't even start. Because I think a lot of times at CES, you would announce a title and like a description for a game that you hadn't even begun developing yet just to see if there was buyer interest. Exactly. If buyers are like, okay, we want that. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. And then you get your orders and then you're like, okay, we can now <laughs> okay, raise they, money they ordered, that. they ordered it, the game. We, we better make it. Yeah, now, right? we can now like, <laughs> say we got that money guaranteed, get a loan from the bank and make the yeah. game. Yeah. So I had that conversation <laughs> with Howard Phillips when he talked about like where to track some of this stuff down. He's like, look at those third-party developers because yeah. they were the ones hustling, right? They're like, I, you know, we want to find a hit game. We want to get some of this funded. So they're just pitching everything. Yeah. And maybe you know, at CES, they're like, hey, baby gangster, baby gangster. And yeah. then all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, where's this baby gangster game? <laughs> Babies and, are big right now. Yeah. Gangsters are big right now. <laughs> Dick Tracy. Yeah, did you see Dick Tracy? The, like, yeah, imagine right. Dick Tracy with right. babies. Right. So I, I, <laughs> they, uh, there, there's a lot of that and you know, how much of it is sort of first-party confirmation or, or primary source right. confirmation. And it, that's why I focus a lot on Nintendo paper. Um, yeah. Because this is from the company. It's you know, printed there. It's, at least I, something I, was yeah. communicated there. I, I think we all agree that, that the NES unshipped library is really fascinating. It is. And, and because, yeah. again, and, and maybe we've talked about this on the show. I don't remember. But, uh, you know, the, the NES was such a weird case where everyone was making so much money that they could afford to just throw everything at the wall and see what stuck. And with the licensee restriction, of course, they can only release five games a year. So there were a lot of games that were completed and were fine or good or maybe even great. Some of them, I don't know, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't found those yet. Right. But like, you know, like really like decent games. They weren't like canceled midway through development because they weren't working or anything. These were like actual NES games that, you know, if, if, if the butterfly flapped like a second later... 
you know, could have actually come out. And, yeah, because of that that restriction restriction of how many yeah. titles it could release a year actually right. shelved a lot of games. And yeah. Because, like you said, they were making a lot of money, so they were developing all kinds of games yeah. at once. Like Capcom might make ten games that year and then ship the five. Yeah, and yeah. we 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 have reason to suspect that Capcom has a lot of really great yeah. NES completed games that are just sitting dormant somewhere if they still exist. Yeah. And just because of that process, they were a company that would develop these games and then decide what they could ship and what they should ship in what year. And yes, we have asked. Yeah, <laughs> we definitely have asked. Yes. In our relationships. And that's how we have the clues we have. Yeah. We haven't got confirmation yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's okay. I mean, this kind of gets into my next question, um, which is, how do you even know what to look for? I mean, obviously, you know, yeah. things that are of personal interest to you, like the NES unreleased library, that's a good starting point. But yeah. for a lot of these other things, like, who would think to look for, you know, like you mentioned, you know, the, the Star Raider 2 source code or things like legal documents for court yep. cases. Like, what makes you start to stop and think, oh, you know what would be really interesting is, you know, Exhibit A from the Magnavox. Well, I think Magnavox in both of these cases, yeah, like, case. we lucked into that stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. That was, that was total luck for me. I mean, it was... Um, yeah, how did I even do that? So That was the, that French auction, right? Yeah, so, but it was before that. So what happened was there was an eBay auction. So this is uh, specifically the Magnavox versus Nintendo trial mm-hmm. stuff ephemera yeah. that I, I got. Yeah, we didn't go through... We, we didn't go to a court and dig through Yeah, that, right, through court documents. <laughs> you know, so what, what, yeah, I guess uh, what happened was... Uh, there was an eBay auction for I think like an Excite Bike or something that had that had the Magnavox v Nintendo sticker on it, and everyone's like, "That's weird! Like, where did that come from?" And then realizing what that was, and it went for I think ten thousand dollars or something what? crazy. Yeah, because it, it was uh, it was a couple carts. Uh, okay. It's the black box carts I don't own from the trial was that first okay. batch, and then I started doing research and realizing that there was an auction in Paris where. Uh, there was a collector who had uh, accumulated a lot of this uh, from Ralph Baer uh, and was selling it off. And so I was doing telephone bidding uh, for these. And I just obliterated anyone who was who was trying to bid on that. <laughs> but what came along with it was not just the games, but a lot of pieces of paper. So it's Ralph Baer's testimony on why Nintendo frin- infringes on Sanders Associates patents. Um, and it's like hand-drawn you know, diagrams and everything else. And that was kind of a bonus, right? It just yeah. kind of it came in there, and then we were able to to piece more together. Like you know, on Christmas Day, and I think it's like 1985. Like I know what Ralph Bayer was doing. <laughs> so, but it's also, I mean, this this also goes to the fact that like you recognize because of your understanding of game history and the history of this whole industry, right. what's important, what's not, as you're on the fly finding these things. So yeah. you're able to like quickly determine like this is important. Right. You need to put set this aside and sort of stuff because you've got a vast knowledge of like key points in the development of the game industry. Yeah, I think there's some stuff that that uh, maybe is real easy and obvious when you're going through, but then yeah. there's when you see this tremendous bin, and this is, you know, like the Congo yeah. Bongo stuff, right? You're going through arcade flyers and, and uh, just manuals and everything else, and then that's where you just have to almost, like, speed like through it and be like, yeah. I think this is important. I don't know what this is. And, and just you create this sort of sub-pile that then you sort through a little yeah. bit later, and, and likely you'll miss something. Um, but 
That, at least that's how I've gone through yeah, it. I'm like, and hey, I don't, I don't think this game came out, or like, I don't remember what this is. You or, regularly keep up on like the great mysteries of the game industry too. So right. Like, yeah. Like a ba- in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, these mysteries have yet to be solved. Yeah. Like right. on the show floor right now, you know, someone's got to cut out advertisement for Bouncer. I'm like yep. we all know Bouncer. It's yeah. like, oh, that's like the most famous like lost arcade game. So yeah. you know, you know, to I didn't grab it because forty dollars for a clipping out of a magazine I probably own. But yeah. <laughs> but, I've got it if you need uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, uh, yeah, and and I mean, sort of the digital version of that, and I think we've maybe all done this. Um, maybe not you, Mike, but like just have saved eBay searches. For, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, for for yeah. weird keywords. Yeah. And just check them all the time, and and like that has led me down, you know, rabbit holes and paths that I wouldn't even think about. Not just eBay, even Craigslist. So yeah. our, who we work with, Kevin Wilson. Remember yeah. that time he found out there's a computer store that yeah. was, his doors were shut in like '87, I think. Yeah. It never opened, and it was a computer store that just like sat dormant nobody's been in there since and so they put up on craigslist that you know first come first serve take whatever's inside so we go over there and there's a small group of people that turned into a larger group of people but we go in it was a moment in time there's like the commodore sign up on the wall that lit lit up there's all these machines there's work tables with stuff still out but then boxes and boxes of software i got all the infocom games and the shrink wrap i got the don't copy that floppy teacher's (laughs) kit yeah vhs (laughs) tape that like i don't think anybody knows this exists but it's like it has uh inside it has a workbook for students and all stuff and it's all crazy stuff these things that all came from like 88 essentially 87 right that uh you know that was just because he had a like a robot search on craigslist all the time that popped up like oh here's some commodore stuff and like the stuff we got out of that we've been mining since like there's all kinds of crazy like again the kind of sort of stuff where it's like sent out to dealers of like here's what we're planning next year and here's the products that are going to be releasing all stuff that like I've been kind of tweeting about in the last year yeah. all the stuff that came out of that. Yeah, well, so to uh, Frank's point on eBay save searches, one of the other things that you can do is if you see an auction um, and then you end up winning it, it's actually asking the seller if they have more. Yeah, because a lot absolutely. of times they don't realize, yeah. like, I have, oh, yeah, I've got that whole box. I didn't think the rest of that was worth it. And mm-hmm. in some cases, yeah. they're at, there's things that are even more valuable. Maybe not from a monetary perspective, but definitely from a historical perspective. Well, I did that with that Nintendo comic. That's right. But maybe I shouldn't tell people I have a bunch of, but I'm just going to do it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, a seller Who in had, the market, Frank? Go yeah, ahead. A seller Crash had um, yeah. the Nintendo preview comic. So you remember Valiant did Nintendo yeah. comics. They, there was a preview edition it was only like eight pages or something it was really small and uh i'm not even sure how it was sent out i think it was bundled in a comic magazine and Mm -hmm. so like most of the copies you see have like ink stains from the rest of the magazine or something but this was like a flawless copy and i did a buy it now for 30 bucks and asked him if he had more and he's like uh yeah i've got 15 more uh we found them at at the printer we just bought (laughs) so i have like the first nintendo comic book ever Hmm. you know in uncirculated condition which doesn't exist outside of my pile i think (laughs) but like yeah well that's the same thing with like those badges we found with the nintendo championship yeah you got the nwc badge. i was just at like a flea market this guy who used to be used to generate and create patches for people just had this little pile of nintendo world championship patches from 91 right right and 90 90 90, Yeah. yeah And uh, so I knew right then, I'm like, well, how much for these? And he's like a buck each or whatever it was. Yeah. I'm like, I'll take them all, yeah. whatever. But like, this came from the same kind of thing where this guy made these probably for Nintendo and these were just leftovers yeah. in his place. And it's like, there you go. Or like the guy on the factory line who who sold copies of NBA Elite not knowing that they were... <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that, that was like... The, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is but yeah, just stuff like that. that, that just None sort of, of this is ephemeral, up. but... You know, right. Well, yeah, I guess it, it is. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it's... 
Well, I guess it all, it's all ephemeral. Right. Sure. It's not, <laughs> I don't know if it, it goes to our, our, our definition of ephemera. topics here but like yeah we're getting all this stuff yeah right but like it's just kind of sitting around right now yep. because archiving things is very difficult yeah. yeah and that that is one of my questions okay um which is is there a central central repository or resource for this material like frank spring how do you yeah. it, <laughs> present it catalog it share it well it's funny you should ask because uh you were talking to three of the five founders of a nonprofit that has not been announced yet uh where we are the video game history foundation um so uh this is i i've, I've not talked about this at all until now but um i actually stepped down from my day-to-day -day with yep. mike uh, to focus on game preservation as a full-time job. Um, and uh, so one of the projects that we're going to start with um, that we're building now is, is a repository of uh, probably focused mostly on PR and marketing video game material um, because that's not a resource that exists right now right. And, and it's just kind of spread around in all these disparate little attempts at things but uh yeah that's you know i i don't want to talk too much about like features or anything because we're still scoping it out but mm -hmm. like you know we are in the process of getting all of this ephemera in a place that is um that is you know duplicated everywhere you know like maybe even mirrored on archive.org or something but uh you know just getting that lossless material somewhere that's safe and even if it's like and this is something we got to figure out like the three of yeah. us, and and I should say that the other two members are uh, Simon Carlos, who mm -hmm. runs GDC, and and, and, and yeah, uh, heavily involved in archive.org. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Chris Malcinos, okay, who uh, who who ran the uh, Smithsonian Games mm -hmm. Art of Games exhibit, and and you know is like minded like us, right? Exactly. He's been in the industry for a long time. It is always sort of understood. The, yeah, and he's. Been, I mean, he's been pushing for this for a long time. And yeah. He finds every way possible to make this stuff happen. I mean, yeah, and, you know, he's, like, stuff... This has been true of all of us, I think. Like, we just kind of inherit stuff because people know us as, like, that... Oh, like, there's this guy. You yeah, know? and he's better than throwing it away. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, I think we all recognize that there was a need to have, like... An organization and like a business card and a logo. Yeah. No, instead I'm, of being that guy I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm really happy to hear that this is happening because when we did the Retronauts Kickstarter, one of my thoughts was it would be really cool to use this money to create like a nonprofit yeah. and, you know, work on video game archiving and preservation. But I also realized like that's not something that we specialize in and yeah. have the knowledge to do. So yeah. it makes me really happy to hear that the guys who do have that knowledge and yeah. expertise and connections and everything are doing this because it's something that desperately needs to be done. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Well, one thing, you know, Frank and I have had, the, and actually uh, Mike as well, we had these conversations of we were collecting things because we thought this is important, we need to preserve this. But now video game collecting has become, you know, much more mainstream in terms of activity. So it's like, okay, you know, that copy of Donkey yeah. Kong Jr. is going to be preserved by someone. And so a lot of this is not really about ownership right it's like you yeah. know, we don't we don't want to have like oh are they going to open a museum no yeah. that's really not the intent it's really getting it in 
doing the preservation in terms of scanning it, archiving it, getting things documented, sharing that information. Or put in a permanent home. And, and then yeah. you know finding a mean? permanent yeah. home for yeah. it, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's like, you know, there are places that are actual, like, funded museums that have librarians on staff and yeah. people who can preserve paper. Um, put them in, you know, like, the archival boxes so they don't deteriorate. Oh, in a way better right. way than we ever yeah. could. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, we're careful. I mean, like, but, you had a yeah. flood in your basement. Yeah, right? a flood in my basement. That like, happens. Yeah, it's yeah. like, that... that act of God sort of thing is like yeah. a lot less likely to happen if it's in a proper place. Yeah. And there's yeah. so many wake up calls that I think we've yeah. all had. I think the biggest wake up calls have been Ralph Bear dying. It's yeah. right. People are dying now. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's starting. And it, and it was, we're fortunate in that Ralph Bear was recognized for his contributions yes. and had been interviewed so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, know, he, like, and he, and he was, you know, that book of his yeah. is yeah. so valuable. And like, I love the way it's written because it's written from the perspective of like, you know, not in an egotistical way, but yeah. Ralph was just like, I recognize that what I did is really important. So while I'm still here, I'm going to tell you everything I remember yeah. and show you everything I kept. Right. And like, that's the tone of that book. And that's like, that's such a wonderful thing to exist. Which everybody could do that. Because there's, yeah. there's very important people out there who yeah. don't have that. Uh, sort of thought about right. themselves or what they've worked on. In fact, a lot of them discard what they've worked on in the past. Well, I think it's a, it's his inventor mentality. Yeah, right? exactly. It's right. like I document everything. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Know? Because otherwise, I can't have a patent yep. for this. Yeah. So, like, we're really fortunate with Ralph. Yeah, yeah. but like, you know, again, he's he died. Like right. that's, that's 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 that you know the, our our founding father. You know, in a lot mm. of ways. So it's only going to trickle down from there. Yep. So a lot right. of this oral history stuff, and you know. The foundation isn't obviously just archiving ephemera and making an archive. Like, right. like really, I mean, we don't we don't ultimately know where this thing goes. Like year one, this is probably the biggest project. But you know, ultimately, we're sort of hoping that having a nonprofit that uh, is a foundation for preserving video game history will lead to things like you know, us raising money to give grants to people who are preserving video game history in some way uh, that, you know, fits our standards or whatever. But, you know, like, it's it's just one of those things that's obviously needed and someone needed to step up. I don't know that I'm, like... You know the most qualified CEO of a nonprofit, but like we'll see. <laughs> but also, it's that's about getting the word out, like always. Yeah. But right, like we've already had a few people reach out who are working on yeah. games today, realizing just because of the things you've said on podcasts yeah. that we've all said on podcasts that right. I need to get this somewhere, and they're they're, yeah. they're funneling it to us yeah. because that or asking us how to archive. Right, they have, which is amazing to me because we've worked with so many companies. Where they're like, oh, we want to like let's reissue this game. And it's like, great, get us the source code. And they're like, ah, we don't, we don't have the source code. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have to track down people who worked on the game who probably stole the source code yeah, or you've whatever. Done that, yeah. 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 So we've had to do things like that. But now, well, that happened got... with Grim Fandango, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like Grim Fandango remastered is because Tim stole a company computer. <laughs> you know, like... but that that stuff had to happen. Yeah. And so like now that awareness is getting out there, we're, it's awesome that we're getting from people like, yeah. how do I preserve what we've just done? But we've killed yeah. ourselves for, on for like the last four years. How do we now preserve it? Because yeah. they weren't thinking about that before. And that's something that, you know, we're, we're also talking about as the foundation, you know, writing up standards and exactly. helping companies do that. And, um, you know, like I was just actually talking to Matt from Double Fine about this yesterday yep. and like how maybe I should come down there and talk to, talk about how they're doing it because like they're actually among the best in terms yeah. of, of, of preserving their things. Uh, I think partially because they're working on these LucasArts remakes yep. and they were... Well, they understand the value of it. Yeah, them. yeah. It's a thing. Um, but yeah, and that's 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 what we're doing, and and you know that's it's it's the beginning of the answer to how do you actually save these things. Mm-hmm. To me, is uh, 
don't just be, hey, I know this guy, Steve. Right. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, gonna show up with a couple bankers boxes and yeah, just yeah. through there. Like, oh, but okay. like, hey, go to gamehistory.org, which I own. My God, that was available. <laughs> gamehistory.org is, is our website. It doesn't exist right now, but maybe the platform is there. But even um, just putting in people's heads, like, but like, get ready to archive something or get ready to get rid of something that yeah. they should think twice about it. Right, right. Like, there's these guys who will just come do it. Yeah, the, they can just pick up the phone. Like, you've done so many times, yeah. you guys have, like, mm-hmm. somebody's called you and you're just like, you rent a truck and go yep. get whatever you need well, to Well, that get. happened to us with IDOS, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Um, when, uh, Crystal Dynamics was moving offices because they still had the giant office that had IDOS US downstairs. I mean, we got an email that day. It was like, <laughs> hey, we're about to throw away thousands of games. <laughs> Do you want to come get them? So, yeah, we just stopped working, <laughs> yeah. got in the U-Haul, and like, but that's, but that's so disruptive. It's very you know? disruptive, but like, we're like in the middle of IDARB or something. Yeah, we're, just, we're trying to ship a game. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Like, we got to preserve somebody else's yeah. history. <laughs> so, you know, not just having a brand that you can turn to, but like, me just like being like, look, I, I cannot make money for a year and survive, hopefully. <laughs> but like, I can do this full time. You're not going to disrupt me. So, yeah. whatever you need, I'll just come do it. Um, yeah, so that's, you know, the beginning of our solution to that. And I think... I think we're going to, as as this thing grows and becomes public, yeah. uh, and as we start having more conversations with people, I think we're going to start to understand what the real needs are. Exactly. And, do. and, you know, we hear all different kinds of things, and obviously we can't do everything. Yep. You know, right. like, like uh, our friend in Seattle thinks that the biggest need right now is have a place where people can put things that you lock away and no one's ever going to see. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, that's kind of... It's like the seed archive yeah. for like video <laughs> yeah. games. Yeah, yeah. So. It's like okay. like a, a place people can put things anonymously that no one can see for fifty years is like what he thinks we need, and it's like yeah, maybe, but yeah, uh, I don't. Uh, that, that's maybe like for you know military secrets or something. <laughs> but, but there is a lot of legal things around yeah. surrounding. So there's right. some stuff where it's like they can't even legally let the public see it. Right. But they also don't want it to be at risk to yeah. be thrown out. So they're looking for a solution. But uh, maybe our job isn't necessarily to be... <laughs> yeah, like, no, exactly. To, like, own that space and, like, hire security. But maybe our job is to figure out how to clear it. those yeah, hurdles. Right, exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, yeah. In fact, I actually was just on... Uh, I was talking with other people about, you know, the SNES PlayStation. Right. Yeah. You know, they... I made a cash offer for it, but at the time, they were probably thinking, are we even allowed to sell this? Yeah. Right? Like, is Sony or yeah. Nintendo going to come after us? And, and I think that's... Yeah. You know, but imagine if they get contacted by a non-profit right. called the Video Game History Foundation. That, that can says, assist them in yeah. like sorting that out. Yeah. I mean, or I mean, even acquire the damn thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, in fact, just last night, I was meeting with uh, folks that were like, yeah, we're cleaning out our office. It was an editorial publication. And yeah. like, we had dev kits and all this other stuff. And there was the guy in the room who was saying, oh, we need to ship that back to Sony. Yeah. And then the other person saying, like, Sony doesn't care about this yes. like, 10-year-old dev kit, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that push-pull, like, okay, what do we do? And then who do we who do we turn to on, on advice? Just, think, just thinking about Alice and 1-Up sending back all those DS cards. It's like, they don't care! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we have to mail these back. <laughs> <laughs> The worst thing that happened during that EGM move, I don't know if I told you about this, was there was a box, and I opened it up, and it had uh, tapes, and they were like, I don't know, eight-inch tapes, like camcorder tapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it must have been from old EGM or something. And like, I opened the box, and the first one on top just said Game Gear footage. I was like, oh, cool. These are pro- there's probably good stuff in here. And I, I put it down, and it was just gone the next day. Uh-huh. It <sighs> must have gotten trashed, because who would take that home right. but yeah. me? <laughs> I'm sure the were like, oh, this is garbage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, office moves. I've, I've been saying this for a while. It's becoming my catchphrase. Our office moves are the biggest threat to video games. Yeah. Well, that's where I got that, <laughs> yeah. all that Atari stuff, right? The yeah. the, the uh, Tengen Tetris prototypes. Yeah. This was so it was. It's two big boxes. Actually, it was at California Extreme yep. where I got those boxes. Uh, and we opened it up, and it was basically the licensing group of Atari. And so someone would license an IP, and then they would send them what they had made. So it's like hard driving across like every single platform yeah. or you know, Zybots. Yeah. But then in there was like all these prototypes, um, and we're digging it out, and then we're like, wait, this is the actual development of Tangan Tetris. And you can see the progression across yeah. ROMs, right? Awesome. And, and that was the office move. They, Atari cleared out, and this was in a closet. And yeah. a guy opened the closet, saw these boxes, and thought, oh, Steve might want these. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I've always just thought the, the if you could brand, like Lost Levels was an yeah. attempt at just branding, like, this is where unreleased games go. You know, I, I didn't really take it as far as I could have. But you know what I mean? Like, I've always believed in, like, branding something and being a dot yeah. org or whatever. Yeah. And, and and that that le- that is just way more powerful than I know this guy. So, yeah. right. you know, that's, that's I think, the biggest advantage of, of this nonprofit. So this touches a little bit on, on on another question I had, which is the the element of money. I mean, just mm-hmm. from from doing you know Game Boy World and Good Intentions and that sort of thing, I've discovered whoa, you know, trying to get these games and just take photographs of them and yeah. their packaging yeah. is prohibitively expensive. Mm-hmm. And it would be really cool for me to have just like a library of complete Game Boy games, but at the same time, I have to you know buy my wife wife health insurance and yeah. things like that. So I can't really keep these games. I just kind of like bring them in, document them, send them out, you know, sell them on, on uh, eBay or whatever. Um, but with this kind of stuff, you can't really do that. There's no, no there's no churn for... Well, technically I might be able to, but, but I feel it's... like even even if I scan something, you know, I, 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 it's, I think that physical archive still has to exist, right. to your point. So that means it's basically a one-way money road. Yeah, um, yeah. And that, that yeah. seems... <laughs> It's it's a lot for you know people to bring you know to put on their own shoulders, right? But a nonprofit has a lot of tax benefits. Um, you know, like like if if and when I'm salaried, that's tax free. You know, and and uh, you know the company itself isn't taxed the same way as an individual either. So, um, and also uh, a company, a nonprofit organization, a five hundred one c three anyway, and we're, that's still pending because the applications in, mm. um, which is why we're not like public yet actually. Uh, but a 501c3 can take donations from people that they can write off so we can start like crowdfunding money that like is you know like that people write off and 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 we can sort of in theory if if that's where the organization goes i don't know if the organization goes toward acquisition um which we haven't talked about too much yet because there's no need to because we we have so much stuff (laughs) but like if we go in that direction like like i think for all of us, you know that that expense can can uh, be not be our personal expense yep. anymore, right? Or like, you know, the the two hundred dollars a month I'm paying in storage right now just for video game stuff that like I don't even want to own, <laughs> you know, that I'm just keeping safe. Like, you know, that can I can transfer that to this company then? Like, I'm gonna actually like all of my magazines and stuff. I'm giving a possession to this company. I'm donating my stuff, and and that's another thing yep. too, right? Yeah. Like. Like we can once we've once we've sort of figured out all the, the the number crunching and stuff that I don't know if any of us are really good at, but like when we get to the point where we can explain to people like yeah you can sell it or you can write it off and here's the paperwork and we'll do that right now and give them the examples yeah like you know that might sway people more toward if they have something you know 
really valuable and they need money like it you know we might depending on the person obviously right. but like you know there's now a place to donate that stuff and maybe it's for a, maybe maybe your write-offs less than you might get on open market I don't, but you know the point being like that could sway people who you know have rare material and medical needs yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean that like, well, the unfortunate thing too that we've learned is like you'd think that a lot of these companies have rich histories would be yeah. willing to donate or give some sort of help to preserving their own history yeah but even that's hard it's like it pulling is. teeth and um you know a lot of them especially the larger companies have what they call their own internal archivists on staff right. or whatever but all that person really does is just hold on to the consumer facing products yeah not yeah. actually the, any of the ephemera some of them do pretty good EA's okay yeah that's, uh, they're pretty uh, good among the companies yeah it's pretty good but even they are you know challenging to get them to support your cause yeah. or whatever because like they have their own efforts and, and that sort of thing and they just doing. don't you know th there haven't been that many opportunities yet where it, like they've really lost a lot of revenue because they lost something yeah you exactly. know and and right. you know maybe that would be a wake-up call for somebody yeah. but for a lot of these companies they see value potentially and especially with some of the conversations we had recently where they see value in archiving the legal aspects yeah. of you know who owns what who's licensed from who mm -hmm. yeah and that sort of thing because right. some of the biggest challenges for them from a business perspective yeah. is like they might want to reissue a game that they know is going to make a lot of money yeah but they have now lost the materials for who did the music do they own the rights yeah. to the music the source code the source code yeah <laughs> <is usually laughs> and all that too, kind yeah. of stuff but i mean we've had you know as digital clips you and i have had yep have had situations where you know we're ready to like go on a game and yeah. they're like we don't know who owns every part of this exactly we can't. or like right. We don't know that, you know, even like some of the packaging in ephemeral material, it's like, we don't know if we own that and finding that out is way more expensive than, yep. <laughs> you know, exactly. than whatever people are. So maybe to a, a sort of separate point, the actual like value or how much this stuff goes for, and it varies wildly mm -hmm. and it de just depends on if you find it, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. If you see it. So, you know, for me, first party Nintendo or, you know, training docs or anything like that, if whenever that shows up on eBay, there's enough people with shared uh, searches that it's very likely I'm going to get into a bidding war. Yeah. But then there's other stuff that just kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, the description's really bad and it's really just kind of lucking into what, like knowing what it is, knowing yeah. that that's important. And then you get it for like $5 or like $10 or something like that just because of the you know, the cost of the shipping. Yeah. Um, and so it, maybe through this or, or making people aware that, hey, pieces of paper can can be valuable, but yeah. it is valuable to only a very small number of people. And, you know, the three of us and, and some of the other folks we know that, that collect paper, it we're buying it because we want to preserve, not because I want something on yeah. the yeah. shelf, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, maybe there are people, it's like, I want to lock it away in a vault or I want to put it, you know, somewhere where no one gets to see it or yeah. never, like, I'm not going to scan this because I have the only copy. Like, that's what we're trying to avoid. I haven't run into that yet. Right. You know, <laughs> like, I, I haven't, it, I haven't run into the prototype problem. Right. Where, I, where something gets, like, decimated in value because there's a copy of it. It's dumped. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, like, I don't think anything's going to happen if we dump your news release. Well, I mean, I already posted them on Twitter yeah. anyway. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, everybody's seen all of that. I think yeah. as more people come into it, you could run into that problem, though. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, I have run into that, come to think of it. I have run into that with, um, in the Atari days, Parker Brothers in particular, but I think other, I think Atari also, you know, at trade shows, they'd, they'd like print up promotional boxes mm -hmm. for games oh, that yeah, ultimately right. wouldn't ship, right? Incredible Hulk. And yeah, and, I, like and, that, and yeah. I've and I've had, 
you know, I've had long arguments about like we should scan that Hulk box in high res because that's like a valuable piece of ephemera. And the counter argument is, you know, no, then people can reproduce it and we as collectors will never know the difference. Right. And so we need to never scan this in a way that can be reproduced because we don't want to go down that rabbit hole where we might lose money. And, right. And like, I totally get that mentality and it's unfortunate, but right. like that could start happening if, you know, the, just we, as long as we never make a checklist. Then people will never collect this stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there, in fact, the very beginning of this conversation, right. it's yeah. where it's there like, is no the fact there is no checklist is yeah. probably a good thing. All yeah. of those, God, all the old newsletters for the like third party publishers for the NES, mm-hmm. for example, those used to be worth nothing. Right. And then Nintendo Age people on the forum started documenting them, and now you can't get them anymore. You know, because like now there's a list, right? Um, yeah, like so, all the issues of you know newsletter X, yeah, right? And yeah, it's like okay, or like Warrior go. World, the Enix newsletter, like forget it, like, right? You're never gonna know they had that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I had like the Sunsoft, and Sunsoft, the, uh, Sunsoft Game Square. Time News, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Square had one. FCI had like every Taxan had one. Wow. Yeah, there's a ton of like almost every American third party publisher for the NES had newsletters. Um, I've not found much of historical interest in them, <laughs> you know what I mean? But they're still really cool. Yeah. They're um, really cool. Flipped it, right? Yeah. Yeah, what else you got? Um, I mean, that's... <laughs> That's kind of the the bulk of it, um, and I would like to sort of wind down now. So, well, actually, really of... quick, do you, if you don't mind, sorry. The 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 uh, just going back because one of our biggest projects out the gate with this thing is probably a, a marketing slash PR archive, right? Um, uh, sort of the importance of that being around, you know, is um, people who are writing historical retrospectives mm-hmm. doing stuff like you do. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm going mm-hmm. to be in touch with you guys. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm writing about Ishido. Do you yeah, do you have anything, anything about Ishido? Ishido? Uh, yes, in fact, at the Great. Library of Congress, yeah. Yeah. I, I happen to know at the Library of Congress, they, they, the uh, the uh, copyright submission for Ishido, uh, they have um, photos of the original prototype board game that was used for the... <laughs> Well, DC is only like four hours, four hour drive from where I live. So. No, that archives in Culpeper, Virginia. There, oh, there ain't but... nothing else in Culpeper. <laughs> no, that, that, that might actually be closer than, than, than DC. It might be for uh, you, yeah. Um, but like for the stuff you're doing, you know, this this archive, like, you know, I, I I think I think the value of high resolution, clean color corrected scans is kind of a, you know, people don't understand the value of that, but like. For people like you who are creating material with it, or like even me, like I'm creating material right now, out of um, the out of uh, the the stuff I got <laughs> out of a trip to North Dakota uh, mm-hmm. to do a story on where in North Dakota is Carmen San Diego. But like you know, having that like there were pictures of these things online, but like having a nice high res scan of the box, you know, I, I think I think that I think that makes the material that people like you and I produce. Uh, you know, it makes it look better, which I think gets more eyes on it, which I think promotes the idea of video game history. You know, the more we can do to polish these things, the better. And so, you know, that's that's a big part of, of having this arc. Yeah, I, I yeah. went back and actually redid my first Game Boy, like first year Game Boy book because yeah. I just like took some photos and didn't bother to do any perspective correction. And yeah. then I was like, 
I started doing perspective correction for the next year and was like, oh, that first year stuff looks really shoddy. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> yeah. I actually went back and redid it and republished it with a larger yeah. size and, and it looks better. Yeah, yeah. And it's not, you know, I, I, and again, I don't think it's just like, oh, it looks better. Right? <laughs> I think you understand that it's more than that. It's like it, 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 lends, it lends more credibility to this mm -hmm. thing we all believe in. It helps spread the word, which in turn helps get eyes on our organization, which in turn helps get things to our organization right. and, and preserves video game history. Well, if you look at like Evan Amos, right, the yeah. going mm -hmm. to photograph systems, yeah. right, in, in like professional settings, it, every stock photo of a video game system comes from him. That's yep. right. Yeah. And every news article yeah. and everything else. Exactly. And then, you know, we hooked him up with the uh, um, National Video Game Museum yeah. where he actually took pictures of their collection, right? So Like the weird rare stuff. Yeah. He probably yeah. did like the Barbie Game Boy Color prototype. System. Yeah, he yeah. spent it, like three days mm -hmm. constantly yeah. photographing yeah. systems, right? And that was his opportunity to do that. And I think actually even NVM guys at first were like, well, will people want to come to the museum if they if can, they can see, see it, it yeah. online, yeah. right? But um, then they're realizing like, no, oh, this is actual promotion. Yeah, right? I mean, I can see photos of the USS Enterprise model, but I want to go to the Smithsonian yeah. and see like that they've restored it and, and actually yeah. be in the present. There's there's something like, Absolutely. you know, right. a photo of a Mark, Mark Rothko painting is like, oh, there's some colors, but you go and see a Rothko painting and you're like, there's colors. Yeah, yeah. right. Absolutely. There's a difference. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't think I don't think preservation cheapens the value of of what's being preserved. I think yeah. it just gives greater access to it, allows more people to understand and appreciate it, and doesn't diminish absolutely the, the absolutely. original product itself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things I love when people do is just uh, you know, scanning that, um, print ads, right? Yeah, or like yeah. uh, you know, Sears catalogs or you know, sale flyers and everything. You know, people do those like Radio Shack, like, hey, here's this like. 386 SX for five thousand yeah. dollars or something. It would helps put things into perspective. Yeah. Um, but then you know, watching the old toy commercials or the game commercials, yeah. like, this is what marketing was. Yes. And so one quick thing, you know, in the in the press release for the NES, the first words are "Watch which, out, which America." Which Steve is holding. Yeah, his I'm hand sorry, right I'm now. holding. Yes, it's uh, <laughs> "Watch out, America." Space Invaders, beware! Japan's leading manufacturer of electronic games has just landed here with the NES. Yeah. All right. So there's a couple things in there. Like Space Invaders reference, right? right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then the fact that they had to introduce who Nintendo was, yeah, Japanese yeah. invasion, right? Like, yeah, kind yeah. of like, language. Well, okay, yeah. what's going on? Yeah, I, I think like some of the text is like the Japanese believe or whatever yeah. in the press release. Yeah, it's like, yeah. just a weird way of saying it. Yeah, totally. So, so yeah, just to wrap up, um, and you guys can go as crazy with this as you like, but I'm curious to hear what what each of you thinks is the most interesting and most precious thing in your uh, in your collections, respectively, and maybe the most interesting tale of acquisition you've had. Like, what's the, the most extreme length you've gone to to find <laughs> sure. something? Sure. Um, I, I instantly have an answer for the first half of that. It's not, a, not so much an extreme length, though. I think the best thing in my house, and, and this has been on its way to the strong for, like, three years now. <laughs> I just <laughs> haven't mailed it out, is... Um, I have the editor's bound archive of a newsletter called, uh, well, depending on uh, what was in vogue at the time or not, it was, it was either called uh, The Video Game Update or Computer Entertainer. And this is a newsletter started in, I think, 82 or 83, and it ended in 1990. And it was run by these two sisters in L.A. who had a mail-order Atari business. Mm -hmm. And they were like, it was called Video Magic. I don't know if you remember Video Magic. Yeah, I do. But yeah, yeah, they were, or Video, I think it was, no, it wasn't Video Magic. It was Video, it wasn't video Magic. Video Swapper, video. maybe? I don't, something uh, like that. Video, video something. Um, but uh, I was thinking Video Magic because an yeah. eBay auction just ended. But, <laughs> um, 
But uh, it was eBay. Uh, there's these two sisters who had a mail order business and, and so we're always on top of what the new releases were that were coming out and, and like when they were coming out and, and they were sending out catalogs, but like one of these catalogs, they added a little bit of editorial material and then that became a monthly like zine, like a video game zine of that, re, that re reviewed almost everything. But, um, and there was these two sisters in LA. One of them was like in the music business, uh, like, uh, I think she worked at Warner Brothers at, uh, on, like, their black music label, and she was, like, working with Prince and stuff as her day job, and at night she had this video game newsletter. Um, but what's really fascinating about that newsletter, there's a couple things. One is that because of their mail order business, because that was their primary motivation here, they were on top of release dates, and every issue in the back had every game that was coming out for every system and the date that the publisher told them when they called them that month. You know, so like they had a calendar, and so like for games that never happened, like you'll you'll see an announced date, and you'll see it slip, 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 and then disappear. And they'll usually have a story about it disappearing. Like we called Nintendo, and Return of Donkey Kong is no longer on the docket. <laughs> you know? right. But and 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 that's do really they actually have something in there about Return of Donkey Kong? Yes, or that a yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like there's stuff in there, and but the the second even more interesting thing I think is that. Uh, console game industry in America, we all know, crashed uh, like 83, 84-ish. Mm -hmm. um, and then we didn't really start start seeing video game magazines again here until 89 mm -hmm. with uh, GamePro. Maybe it was 88. Yeah, I should yeah. know that. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, GamePro and, and Computer Entertainment. Was that first before GamePro? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think I think the I think GamePro was like like yeah I think right, right around the same time yeah yeah, yeah. but um Blast yeah that's time. when you started seeing those games like and that's spun off Romantic or something right. which was a mm -hmm. computer yeah um but uh but the only people who were reporting on console games between like eighty five and eighty eight were these two sisters uh, at least that we found so like that entire dark period you know that we have we actually have like month to month news documentation about this stuff so like. When Nintendo had the AVS, like they were there and they published the photos of the AVS and a write up about what it was and wow. like the launch games and stuff. And, and like, you know, when Nintendo redesigned it to the NES, they're like, look, that AVS thing's different now. You know? <laughs> uh, and like release dates for things that we didn't have, like Master System release dates in America don't exist outside of this newsletter. <laughs> you know? Um, you really need to get that online. It, it's it's scanned. I just uh, yeah, you're right. That's, that's something that I personally need. So yeah, it's 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 an ongoing start, project. Start emailing you a lot. It's an ongoing project, and that's you know again one of the reasons that I needed to just make this full time is mm -hmm. I just have a never ending backlog mm -hmm. of like I don't want to just put those out there. Like I want to talk to them a little bit. You know, and like right. and like. I do have them scanned, but not in a great way. But they're all scanned and, and, and in an OCR searchable way. But like, I need to. That's they're kind of janky. Anyway, that's, that's like a project along right. with a, a bunch of others. But uh, that is the best. And then, as far as most extreme lengths, um, I'll come back to that. You guys have been yeah. thinking about that. The reality is like I don't think I've gone to very many extreme lengths. I don't lengths think I have because either. like usually people just want to get, give this stuff up because taking up space right. or whatever. Financially, I have, but oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like spending a lot of money on yeah, things right. here and there for sure. But like this we've flown. discussion, yeah, sure, like, we've flown. Yeah, 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 I just went to North yeah. Dakota. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, um, actually, yeah, I'll go back to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But the uh, as far as like things. 
to this conversation, there's a couple things that just come to mind. I can't really say which ones are the most like crazy or whatever, but yeah. like favorite. I, I think your favorites yeah. are here. Like uh, I do have one section in my basement that's just a whole bunch of like floppy disks and hard drives and all stuff that I've accumulated from people who've worked on games in the game industry who are just like, I think there's stuff on here. Yeah. And so every so often I go in there and I, start, I try backing this stuff up and find out what's on it. And we always find something cool. Yeah. Like we found like the Micropolis source code and all that Micro- kind of stuff. Micropolis being the code name for SimCity. Right. So yeah, and these things, and then like... So Mike Atari, just has that. It's just sitting in my basement. Like I didn't even know I had it yeah. until just the other day when I was going through stuff. I'm like, well, there it is. And, yeah. Um, things, so that's always fun. And then You I might also, have the tools... That yes. Will Wright lost in his house fire. In fact, it's even labeled tools. So yeah. it's like, <laughs> that could very well be yeah. the stuff there. So we've been backing that stuff up and yeah. setting up those things for backup. And that's always fun to go to. But then I also have uh, this one thing that I find fast because I'm a big fan of Atari in the early arcade days and Atari 2600. But uh, a distributor in the Bay Area just so happened to have the bound Atari marketing department um, collection of every mention in the United States in a newspaper or any other article about anything Atari. It's like mm-hmm. his scrapbook, basically? Yeah, essentially for the marketing department. So they <laughs> right. had these volumes of it, and yeah. he somehow got his hands on that, and then he gave them to me. And so I was going through this, and there's like, you know, small town, whatever, oh, Florida. Yeah, i got to show this to you. Yeah. There's just Xeroxes of every possible mention I of Atari. I want to see that because what you start to find in those things are like small, local, game-specific newsletters yes. that there are no mentions of online. Yeah, yeah, so the, in this case, it's a lot of stories. So it's yeah. like, a, you know, who knows where they come from, right? right? So it'll talk about, like, some kid who broke a high score on asteroids to yeah. whatever. And then, you know, even articles about, like, Atari does, you know, the first whatever ever. And, like, yeah. if a news article is saying Atari did that first, probably a good chance they did, and now we yeah, know. And I and, want the Nintendo yeah, so, so bad. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> and But that, like, that was, a, that was eye-opening. I've been through yeah. those, and just, like, I'm always opening up and going, like, wow, I didn't know that, or yeah. whatever. But, like... I didn't even know that existed. There's so much information that just doesn't exist online. Yeah. Right. It's only in this old stuff. And then we could go back and look at the greater context. Because once we know the news, because they have, they wrote in handwriting on these Xeroxes, like every, where it came from, what year, month, or whatever. And it's all there. So it's really good to zero in on. But I think we all believe that the more that's online, the more other people can start piecing these things together. Because we can do it all ourselves. And so getting it out there. Someone's going to beautiful mind it, right? And be like, wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. Totally realize what the connection is. It's the only way to make progress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, For me, actually, it's, I mean, there's there's physical things, but um, the most valuable thing for me has actually been talking to these people that I was reading about in Nintendo Power or who are behind the scenes, right? Like, you know, uh, like Howard, Howard, Howard's yeah, really cool. yeah, sitting yeah. down with Howard Phillips, and you know, we're talking about we're going you were the over, game master. Like, oh my god! <laughs> and you tell my ten year old self, like, yeah. by the way, you know, thirty years from now, you're gonna be you're gonna go to Howard's about, house. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're gonna be like sitting there talking about old Nintendo stuff, or like you know, uh, just sitting down with Don James and talking about the early days of Nintendo, yeah. and then the random story coming out where he's like, oh yeah, I'm the voice of the Punch Out, like I'm the announcer. We're like, wait. But, has that ever been said? Does yeah. that, do we yeah. know that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, and then it's like, oh yeah, it was me and the other guy and we picked the best voice sample. And so it, it like learning those things are just, you know, yeah. like that we talk about oral history. Yeah. Um, there's just so much there. Um, in terms of like physical pieces, like I, I love the AVS brochure that I have. Because, yeah. yeah. I mean like that's, you know, what Nintendo was going to step forward with. And then uh, obviously the court case stuff it is, I just feel it's weird that I own it. Right. You know, when, when I'm holding this, it's like, how like what confluence of events yeah. happened to where this ended up in my collection, right? And <laughs> yeah. like these these were like people Laura is holding it up. It's like this is Nintendo infringing on patents. Like what? It's crazy. <laughs> um, so I, I think that uh, those are probably my favorites in terms of like greatest links. Yeah, it, 
probably financial. Yeah, I think yeah. is the biggest one. Um, and then yeah, like traveling to meet some of these people yeah. and then actually doing the exchange. Mm. So yeah, and the greatest like thing, real quick for me, is the, just the North Dakota thing because it's funny because. Um, so there's a game called Where in North Dakota is Carmen San Diego, which is kind of an obscure footnote in Carmen San Diego history. But I've always been very interested in this because Carmen San Diego is a franchise that we all know. Like everyone of a certain age knows Carmen San Diego. Mm-hmm. And there was this weird one off. It was where in the world, where in USA, where in Europe, where in North Dakota. <laughs> you know? and yeah, not, but not everybody knows that North Dakota exists or what it is. Right. Not, like, <laughs> a lot of people, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so it's always been, just been this weird footnote on Wikipedia. And there's a little more now than there used to be. But, like, you know, I got in contact with a, a uh, someone who's in education in North Dakota who spearheaded the project because it was obviously, as you might imagine, funded by the state um, as, like, a special game for them. Mm. Um and I had been in contact with this guy and, uh, you know, I had a, I had a quick phone interview with him that was like not a very good interview. Um, and you know, he didn't really, I, I don't know if he just didn't trust me or what, mm-hmm. but like, you know, I had this interview and I was like, all right, well, you know, if you're still in contact with these other teachers, I'm working on a story. I'd like to talk to them. And like, he just kind of wasn't responding to emails. So this documentary crew, not area five, a different one, um, is doing this series on, on video game culture stuff. And they want to talk to me about Lost Levels. And they want to come to my house and like talk about Lost Levels. And I was like, yeah, Lost Levels is cool. But let me tell you about this North Dakota thing. So <laughs> my extreme length is that I convinced a crew to like fly, fly me out to North Dakota with them to a, to, and made them arrange to get all the teachers together wow. in a room so that I could talk to them about this game and get the ephemera that they have for it and get that all online. Yeah. Well, actually, Did, uh, were you drunk with power at that point? <laughs> no, because uh, they, they, yeah, I, I felt very uh, depowered immediately when the first day was a 12 hour shoot of me driving and going to locations because of the friggin' film, film crew. <laughs> I, a lot I, of stupid, like, walk over here and quip. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, this may be the, the one in terms of greatest link that all of us have yeah. put for It's the time. Yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, going through, like, how many hours have we spent flipping through pages oh. or bins or just, just talking about I can feel it on my fingers? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm getting paper cuts and we don't even have anything <laughs> yeah. in front of us, right? It, it, and so just uh, scanning, yeah. you know, all those hours where you're just trying to get stuff out there. And um, I, I, I would imagine that you all feel like I used to, which is like, man, if I didn't have to do anything else, I'd get so much done. Yeah. I don't feel like I've made a dent. Right. Like, this yeah. is all I do now and it's still just endless. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. time is, yeah. yeah. Such is the nature of passion projects. Yes. (laughs) All right, guys. Um, I think that's more than enough. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your California extreme experiences. <laughs> and uh, just for, you know, Steve bringing in some of this cool stuff for us to look at. Sorry, listeners, that you can't see cool stuff on the podcast. That's just how it goes. But trust me, it's cool. It's <laughs> it'll all be online. It'll anyway. all be online. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So why don't, why don't you guys tell us where to find you online and, and look at your cool stuff? Uh, well, okay. yeah, well, I was, I was going to say, like, I don't have any, I don't have a product right now and I've not even talked about the org before now but like depending on your air date uh there should be something on game history in org at least explaining and vague is that hyphenated or nope one game yeah yeah i was very surprised it was available but otherwise we're all on twitter yeah um 
at Frank Zavaldi. I'm at Mike J. Micah. I'm at Stephen P. Lynn. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah. 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 Twitter's okay. the best. Yeah. Twitter's handy. Don't You'll you see us posting. Though? Yeah. The, the Tumblr, honestly, was like a science experiment for what this nonprofit's website okay. will be. Interesting. Uh, that's what? Game preservation? Game, gamepreservation.tumblr.com. Right. Yeah, whatever so, Tumblr yeah. is. is, is yeah. Tumblr's not a nonprofit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, you know there will be some sort of crowdfunding thing happening, uh, probably around when this airs. I'd imagine. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, and then of course for Retronauts, you can find Retronauts at retronauts.com, on usgamer.net, on iTunes, on social media as Retronauts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Of course, we have a Patreon to help support me coming out to California Extreme with an iPhone to talk to people in their hotel rooms, <laughs> and so on and so forth. So please consider donating a dollar or two each month. That'd be awesome. No, um, give it to us instead. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> give us a little and give them a little. We're here first with our, our Patreon. So uh, anyway, yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Of course, you can find me personally on uh, Twitter as GameSpite, and of course, check out usgamer.net and GameBoy.World. Anyway, um, I think that wraps it up for this very cool episode. Uh, again, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having and me. Thank I'm you. looking forward to seeing your site launch, and I'm looking forward to scraping the things that you put online for your <laughs> own purposes. That is the entire it's going to be point. Yep. Yes. Yeah, and it's I really appreciate it. So that wraps it up. We'll be back again next week with a micro episode, and two weeks from now with a real episode. Attention, Retronauts listeners. If you'd like to meet us in person, and of course you would, we'll be doing a panel at this year's Portland Retro Gaming Expo in beautiful Portland, Oregon. On Sunday, October 23rd, we'll be holding the Retronauts' 10th anniversary panel at 3 o'clock p.m. in Auditorium B. And, of course, you will need to be an attendee of the Portland Retro Gaming Expo to attend. But it doesn't stop there. Later that night, from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock p.m., we'll be holding a private Retronauts event at Quarterworld, located at 4811 Southeast Hawthorne Boulevard in Portland. Attendance will be free, not counting Quarter World's cover charge, but to get in you must print out a ticket from the event's Eventbrite page and bring it along with you. To find the Eventbrite page, head on over to Retronauts.com or our Facebook page at Facebook.com Retronauts. It'll be pinned to the top until the day of the event. We hope to see you there, and remember, you must ask before touching us because we are very sensitive boys. Remember, that's Sunday, October 23rd in Portland. Be there or not be there.